morning. Am I on? There we go. I don't know if you noticed uh, this week that uh, Agnes Fenton passed away. Anybody? Anybody have that? that? No, no. But that wasn't news that anybody else picked up, right? She, um, she was 112 years old. She was born in Holly Springs, Mississippi, where my son was working. He just moved from there. Uh, and uh, she, when she was in her 30s, she found out that she had a tumor, benign tumor. And she went to the doctor, and the doctor said, what you need to do is have some alcohol every day. So she, for the rest of her life, drank three beers and a shot of whiskey. Not the rest of her life. Because when she was 110, the doctor looked at her and said, she's as healthy as can be. But her caretakers said, she's not eating enough. So they took her off the um, alcohol, wouldn't let her drink her alcohol. And then she died two years later. So it must have been true, right? I, I mean, come on, guys. I thought it was a little humorous. I mean, the two things that she had was that you need to follow Jesus and drink a little alcohol every day, right? That was her, her things. But I, I say it laughingly. 112, though. Think of that. That's... That's a pretty good long life, don't you think? Pretty good long life, all right? So I need to start today and say, even at 112, she was not there for creation. I wasn't there for creation. You weren't there for creation, right? So we base our opinions on what happened at creation based on some of our presuppositions about it and about who we're going to believe. Now, we're going to start a series where we're just going to, like, fly through the Bible. It's only going to take us a year, all right? And hopefully it'll give a bigger picture of, of what the scriptures is all about and today we get to start in Genesis 1 right where else would you start but creation okay but I have to make it clear I was not there okay does everyone understand that all right okay so let's start with that premises you weren't either and Agnes was not even there all right so Here's, here's our problem. We look at the world around us for the evidence of how to find out what happened in the beginning. And, and the creationists say, well, this is proof. And, and the evolutionary people say, this is proof. And if you believe in evolution, you have to have certain things that come as faith. But if you believe in creation, you have to have certain things that come as faith also. Okay? There are presuppositions that you make because you weren't there. And, and so we're looking at the evidence. Y there is a world 
for all of you who believe that it's not really real, yes, we're here. I mean, okay. But you, you have to make some presuppositions. Now, if you're an evolutionist, you have this presupposition that species can change into a new species. If you say it's based on science, science is that we can observe it and replicate it. Those, that has never been observed. I know, you'll tell me it's a million billion years. You'll tell me, uh, and we can't replicate it because it takes too long, but those have never been observed or replicated. We do see changes within species, yes, but we have never seen one species become another species. And so that's a presupposition that if you believe that way, that you have to make, okay? Uh, you have to believe that matter matters. And the only thing that matters is matter, okay? And then those are presuppositions that you make, okay? Now, if, if you um, are an intelligent design person, you have some presuppositions also. You have a presupposition that the world is in order, that you can tell from the information there that it has been designed, and that design comes from, uh, well, design then gives you information which gives you then an idea of what's happening and what's going to happen, and that it came from some source. Now, intelligent design doesn't mean that you say that it had to come from God. It means that it came from some source. Um, okay, so you, do you up here, you can see words, right? How many cannot see a word there? Okay, no one? All right. So, so you have decided that you can kind of understand that. Do you say, oh, it's because of the computer chip and then the light design and then, and then it's shining up here that it kind of had an undirected process and then became words? No, you're going to say, Probably Scott put that up there. And I'm hoping that you're thinking that I have some intelligence, right? So an intelligent person actually wrote the words, okay? And so your presupposition as a person who believes in intelligent design is that there was some kind of intelligence that gave us information, like DNA, to be able to understand that, okay? It's a presupposition. Now, if you're a creationist, you have some other presuppositions. One presupposition is that God was there at the beginning of time. A creationist would look at uh, quantum physics and say, hey, someone, uh, there had to be an observer Right? Quantum physics tells us that there had to be an observer. Creationist says, my presupposition is that God was that observer at the beginning of time. Were you there? No. 
but that's your presupposition that he was there. And because he was there, the next presupposition you make is that he told somebody, Moses, and wrote it down in the Bible. Okay? So no matter where you're coming from, you have to make some kind of presupposition to believe what you believe because you didn't see it. You weren't there. All right? And so we look at the world through different lenses and we start out at those places. I will tell you my lens. I am a creationist. I believe that the Bible is true and that God wrote it down for us, okay? A and I do this in my classes. I start out that way, why? Because you ought to know where I'm coming from. Now, when I start talking about it with my students, I seem to become an intelligent design person. But in reality, I start with the scriptures, then go to science. Intelligent design would start with science and then go to the scriptures. Creationists would start with the philosophy of Darwin. Okay? That's w it's where you start kind of becomes where you are. Okay? So I personally am a creationist. Now, that gives you a filter to understand where I'm coming from. All right? And wherever you are in that scope, you now know un understand where I come from, all right? Um, I, for years, I taught theory of knowledge. Six years I got to teach this course. It's a great course because it makes the students think about all kinds of things, right? But it, it's interesting that theory of knowledge it's not a Christian-based or an a creationist-based um, theory. How we teach it is very interesting to me that it, it is very biased from where it starts. And I'm trying to you this because we see it all the time. What your belief is shows how up in the little ways. So theory of knowledge teaches us that you are the knower. So I had to tell 16-year-olds that they got to decide what knowledge was. See, I think it's bad because then it goes out to the ways of knowing and the areas of knowledge. And I forget, this is the new one, so linked concepts, and then you get the, the problems of knowledge. Um, and you teach it that way, out from you're the knower, you get to decide what knowledge is and what's true and what's not. Whereas I always thought it was backwards because you should be out here and God should be here. And you're trying to find out what the knowledge is that God has given us. You understand? It, where you come from gives you where you're going. And some of these presuppositions that we make are going to end up how we believe. Now, let's get into 
the word of God. But before so, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are God. And as I believe, you were there at the beginning. And as I look at your scripture today, please help me to be able to explain them in a way that is clear and that we might be able to see who you are and what a great God you are for us. In Jesus' name, amen. In the beginning, God. I know the verse goes on a little bit, but let's stop there. First, there is a beginning. Okay, For a while there, there was an argument that there was no beginning, but as they understood the expanding universe, we've decided, yes, there must have been a beginning. But it's interesting, this verse starts out, in the beginning, God. God was before the beginning. He is outside of time, matter, and space. That's a hard concept, because in teaching some of these concepts, I'm always getting this question, but if, if God, well, who made God, right? Well, if he's outside of time, how are you putting him back in the beginning? Um, my daughter-in-law, we were just talking to her about the uh, Calvinist versus Arminian views of, of theology, you know? Well, if God's outside of time, why are we limiting him to time? Some of these issues, right? And so he starts out the first verse. He is outside of time, energy, or time, matter, and space. In the beginning, God. God was before. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's kind of a general statement to tell you that there is a beginning, that God was there, and that he created it. And then we go into something a little bit more specific. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. Now, I don't know where you're at. We have the Big Bang Theory. We have the Ex Nihilio Theory. All the same, really, when it comes down to it. There was nothing, and then there was something. There was nothing, and then there was something. And in the scriptures, what he's trying to do, you know, when I, when I see hovering over the water, it seems like it's more of a trying to get someone who wasn't there a picture of what it kind of looked like. There was nothing. You've been uh, over the water where it's just glass, and you feel like there's just nothing there, and then you put your hand in, and there's, there's ripples. And that's kind of what it's, what it's trying to show you, is there's, just, there's, 
There, there was nothing. But he doesn't know how to explain nothing. And so he says to us that the Spirit was of God was hovering over the water, the face of the water. It was dark, formless, void. We don't understand void. We just don't understand that concept. There's always something, isn't there? And, and there was nothing. It's interesting here, right at the beginning, he starts out with the uh, spirit of God. We, we, we see the Trinity starting to come out. The spirit of God is there. God is there. And then the next verse we have, and God said, we have his word. We refer to John 1, 1. It's his word, right? We know that is Jesus. So we, we have the Trinity already showing up in the first verses of Genesis of who God is. And he says, let there be light. We have this chaos of nothingness and just kind of everything there. And God's spirit makes it into something. Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. It's interesting. He starts right here. Notice it doesn't say there was light and then there was darkness. He says, and there was evening and then there was morning. The Jewish concept is that God does his work while we sleep. And then we get to join him when it becomes light. We would love to say that it's day first because we work first and then God can take over when we're sleeping, right? But even in these first verses, he starts out with evening and then day. God works first, then we come and join him. It's interesting on the light because... Um, <coughs> as you might understand, the Jewish people were kind of surrounded and, and they were just this little nation. And so in light of that, Moses is giving them the story in, in a way that helps them understand who God is and theologically, that's kind of more of what I'm going to be looking at today instead of the science, is theologically what he's trying to say. And this little nation was surrounded by people that were, um, they worshipped more than one god, polytheists. They were people that um, saw that as creation, as the, all these gods fighting, all of a sudden we became a world. 
they also worship the sun god. Okay, so, so the sun was what they worshiped, not the one who created the sun. And so here, what, what they're trying to say is, look, the sun is created by God, not that we worship the sun. Um, Ezekiel says, uh, Ezekiel is in a dream and, he's, and God's showing him things and he was brought into the inner court of the house of the Lord and behold, at the entrance of the temple of the Lord, between the um, porch and the altar, are about 25 men with their backs to the temple of the Lord and they're facing towards the east, worshiping the sun towards the east. God was showing him, this is wrong. Don't be worshiping the sun. Don't be worshiping what I made. Worship God. And so when we come to that issue of the light, God made it. God created it for us. And we worship him, not what he's created. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge, of glory, of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we see that coming true in the, the New Testament. All right, I'm going to try to kind of show you this, okay? You're all looking at me strangely, but this is all right. Here, we'll, we'll, we'll Uh-oh, I went the wrong way, sorry. Here's, here's the, um, the creation. Ah, sorry. Going too fast. So here's what happened on those creation days. All right? And then we'll get to that. So you have the first day is earth, space, and light. The second day is atmosphere. He splits the two. Um, then you have the dry land and the plants on the third day. You have the sun, moon, stars on the fourth day. Uh, you have the sea and flying creatures. And all that is to be built so that there can be humans. And so then the land and the animals and the man are created on the sixth day. And so that it's, it's all, you can see how God's building the place in a way so that Man can live here. All right. <coughs> God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. You know, it's interesting. He says that seven times. It's very good. Everything he made was good. All right. Now let's try and see if I can get this going. Here's a conception of what God's earth or what God made is like. Uh, what did I do there?
Isn't that amazing? Now that's, some of that detail is put in by someone and we only know as far down as quirks, right? Has, have we gone down farther any yet? I think last I heard that's all the farther we've figured out. It might, and everyone's looking at me like, you're really strange. Okay, <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> and, and really, I, I don't know the science, okay? <laughs> uh, but when I look at that, I just, it's amazing to me. There must be some intelligence, a God who loves me, that designed a world that I can live in. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Now, I must tell you that I have spent many nights with this one question. Did God create the mosquito? Okay? I, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I know this is a little heretical, but, uh, you know, it says that if I receive it in thanksgiving... And I have tried to figure out and ask people why we have mosquitoes. I mean, everything usually has a purpose, right? But I have not figured out the mosquito yet, okay? I, I'm just telling you my, right? But it says that God created everything good, and we need to receive it with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving. Attitude does make a difference, doesn't it? So I guess next time those mosquitoes start going, I'll have to start thanking God, right? Let's see how it goes. <laughs> You've all been there. Wait, wait till winter. Wait till winter, the ones who haven't been here yet. Okay. All right. Let's move on. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the word world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens when he uttered his voice. There is a tumult of water in the heavens and he made the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He made lightning for the rain and he brings forth the wind from his storehouse. God created all of that. In verse 24, I, I'm kind of skipping over all the different things, but I, I want you to see this part uh, on the sixth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the living stock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now, how do you interpret kind? 
Um, you know, we, we went, I told you a few weeks ago that we went to Noah's Ark and they gave us an interpretation of what kind was. So, so when Noah took one kind, it was one kind of dog and all the other dogs in the world have come from that. Um, a species, maybe. Uh, I, I'm not sure how you look at that. My question, uh, and, and I'm telling you some questions that I have, okay? Because just because I believe something doesn't mean I don't question it also. We, we got to see uh, a zebroid there. Has anyone ever seen a zebroid? A zebroid is when you get a horse and a zebra and put them together and the child comes out as a zebroid. And they're very good workers, I guess. And they used to do this in Africa. But the interesting thing about the zebroid or a horse and a donkey becomes a mule, right? But mules and zebroids are sterile. So how did those kinds keep growing? I, anyway, I, I have some questions which, uh, you know, I don't know the answer to. But the scripture says that it was the kinds. He made the kinds. He didn't make, like, it grow from one to everything. He made different kinds. And so we have different animals. And yes, there are changes within those animals. And yes, we see the earth as very different things coming about. But scripture says the kind. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish and the sea and the, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. Maybe you'll enjoy the Calvin and Hobbes. Now here's some human qualities or capacities that render us unlike animals and like God. When we ask, what is God's image? How can we see that we're made in God's image? Well, we're rational and self-conscious. Um, okay, not everybody, but no. Uh, <laughs> anyway, moral, it's supposed to be consciousness to, that urges us to do right. And sometimes that moral conscience is skewed and and I must say that we are tainted by our self-centeredness we get tainted by our self-centeredness so some of these you can see are in humans but are are tainted creativity we, we appreciate beauty we we're, we have that ability and we're social um, some of us more social than others uh, I'm one of those. Spiritual faculty that makes us hungry for God. We know that there's something, and we're always hungry for it, aren't we? And so those are the things that make us different from animals and make us in the image of God. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Notice he doesn't put one in front of the other. We're looking at equal. 
we're looking equal in dignity and worth, male and female. Another thing you might want to notice from this, that um, heterosexuality is God's purpose. Okay? Now, are male and female different? Yes. Yes. Um, someone told me that if you have, uh, if you're both the same in a marriage, one of you is not needed, right? We want those differences. Not that it doesn't mean that in dignity and worth, it's different. The equality is different, no. But we, we have those to complement each other, to help and make it a whole. And God created that, male and female. Notice when he's blessing them and giving them the responsibilities. Look at, he says, God bless them. I mean, this is the next verse. God bless them. He didn't say he blessed the males and told the females to join in. He said he, he blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill and subdue um, it and have dominion over. He gave it to humans, not one gender. We need to take care of our earth because God created it and gave us that responsibility to do that. And he's given us enough for us to do that. That's what he goes on to say to us. For food, enough for us to be here. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all, um, all the host of them and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. I want you to know that God started out by working. Some of you might have jobs where you think that that is, work is a curse. It was, be, it was, created, work was created before the curse. He gave it to us. We, we want to produce, we want to do things. And, and so God worked for six days. And then on the seventh, he rested. And he was showing us an example we work for six days, and then we have one day of rest. It's, it's interesting. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. He made that day holy. Look, you know, poor Marvin, he said Sunday today, Friday. God gave us this pattern. We work six days, we have one day off. We work six days, we have one day off. 
And, and it's not just that he just was mean and nasty, but he actually wanted us to be healthy. Now, now throughout history, Napoleon tried, uh, some others have tried, to make a, a different work days. You know, it would be better with 10, wouldn't it? I mean, 10's a lot easier. 10 days on, one day off, right? Especially if you're an employer. But they've tried through history to, to make this different pattern, and people aren't as healthy. We need this. We need the day. But not only that, God made it holy. What's that mean? Um, Jesus said, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, God saw that we would be self-centered. And we would want to make more money and do more and, and just want to focus on us and our families and who we are. And so he said, the seventh day, make that holy. That is a day where you worship me. It's at the end of his creation that he comes and says, look, the seventh day, that is the crowning day. Why? Why did he make us? He made us to worship him. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all of them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He says, stop one day a week, forget it all, and worship me. And that will renew your soul, that will give you the vim and vigor to go back to work, but also it shows us who is the most important. It is God. He is the creator, and he is the one that we need to worship. Creation. It's about God. It's not about us. Self-centeredness. really what the creation story says is wrong. What's right is God and the worship of who he is. I hope you do that in little ways during the week, praying, thanking him for his blessings on the table, for his blessings in your family, that you are able to work for those kind of blessings that he gives you. 
but also a day to worship just him, to rest and get renewed. That's the seventh day. God or self-centeredness, which one are you going to choose? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us the creation story that you were there to tell us what happened and that we can believe you because you are our God, you are our creator, and we can worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. If um, the elders, Joy, I didn't get a chance, would you help us for communion? And Tom... God the Creator. <laughs> God the Creator also gave us His Son. Because as we go through the Bible, it's it's a story of how we get to see Him. And then the end, how we get to have that that feast at the end with Him. And so um, we remember our Creator. Remember the word of God who created by remembering that he came for us. What I'm going to do is pass out, and the elders are going to help me pass out the um, wine and bread. And then if you'd hold it until we can all eat together and drink together.
Paul gives us a word here. He took the bread. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of what Christ has done for you. May we eat together. And at that meal, he took the cup. It's the cup of redemption. So that he could redeem us to be God's creation again. Renewed as his, the creator wanted us from the beginning. And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my, in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Shall we drink? For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. God, thank you for your creation. I know we've messed it up. So thank you for your son who has come to renew us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have one more song.